0: Well, as I mentioned, we are continuing in our series, Hearing God. And last week, we looked at a very practical way that we can actually begin to learn to discern the voice of God uh, so that we can walk with Him as the Scripture says that we are too. We talked about journaling or two-way journaling last week. And journaling, of course, is simply just learning to record on paper those things that the Lord is speaking to you, whether it's through time you spend reading His written Word, Uh, whether it's in times of what we call listening prayer, or maybe in those spontaneous moments where the Holy Spirit is prompting you or just dropping things in your heart through the course of the day. And given the fact that we so quickly forget what we don't write down, really the chief benefit of journaling is to help us to remember what it is God is speaking to us, but just as importantly, it helps us to track what it is the Lord is saying to us or how he wants to lead us, especially in those seasons we all go through where there may be pain or there may be uh, just, uh, you know, uh, struggles or, um, or times of hardship or uncertainty. When we learn to journal, quiet our heart, and record what God has shown us, we have a track record we can look back on and be encouraged. So remembering and reflecting on God's involvement in my life is actually what generates gratitude. You see, ingratitude in a person's heart, especially believers, is the product simply of forgetting. It's not taking time to record, to remember, to worship God for all the good things we enjoy. We tend to forget, sometimes like children do, and when difficulties come, we say, well, God, where are you? And he says, if you'd only remember, I've always been with you. If you start writing this down, it could be such an encouragement. And so that's one of the benefits of journaling is that it generates gratitude. And as we said in the newsletter, gratitude, of course, turns what we have into enough. Gratitude creates happiness in our, heart, in our hearts, joy and contentment. Now, Jesus said that my sheep, they listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. They listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I believe what Jesus is saying is that a follower of him of his is not just someone who believes the right things about him. A follower of Jesus Christ is somebody he knows because they have relationship, there's been communication there. And Jesus says that person is the person who also knows me. And they listen to me, and the way they show they're listening to me is by following up on what it is I'm saying to them, walking in what I'm showing them. And so this Thanksgiving morning, as we prepare for the Lord's table in a few moments, I want to mention another means by which the Lord helps us to better hear his voice. And it ties into thanksgiving, it ties into gratitude, and is simply it is the discipline of self-examination. Will you say that word with me? Self-examination. To the believers in Corinth, Paul wrote these words. Examine yourselves. Another translation says look closely to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Think about that for a moment. Paul asks, do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? And if you really understand that, then maybe ought your life be a bit different than maybe what it has slipped into. He says, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I really believe that nothing should be more important to us as Christians than the certainty that we are in right relationship with Jesus Christ. That would be the most important thing for all of us, that we've not allowed ourselves to become careless in our commitment of what is required to maintain that relationship with Jesus. To grow in that relationship with Jesus, we have to remind ourselves from time to time the commitment that it takes to actually live in an abundant relationship, a joyful relationship, right? Just like a marriage relationship or any important relationship. If we don't take time to invest in it, remind ourselves how important it is, then what happens? We just slip into our roles, but the relationship is not fulfilling. The same is true as our walk with God. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 2, we must pay even closer attention to what it is we first learned, why. Or we may drift away from it. And the thing about drifting is you tend not to realize you're drifting. Kind of like in a boat, just, you know, you nod off and before you know it, you're a couple miles downriver. The same thing happens in our spirit. So he says, we're expected to take this warning seriously so we don't neglect actually developing our relationship with God. We don't let it be something that we say, well, it'll just happen, or God, I'm open, whatever you want to do. No, we actually have a part to play in developing that relationship. Otherwise, if we don't, we are easily distracted by life. There's just too much going on in life if we don't deliberately develop that relationship. If we don't develop that relationship, what happens? We begin paying less attention to his voice. We stop growing in our freedom in Christ, and we slowly begin to drift away from him. I'm sure most of us have heard of Socrates. He was a Greek philosopher. What you may not have known was that back in 399 BC, he was actually sentenced to death because he was accused of of criticizing the Greek culture, basically of corrupting the youth is what they said. But what Socrates did in his day was he was trying to warn people to think about the way they were living. In fact, his only defense at his trial was that he was doing Athens a great service by questioning people, getting them to stop and examine their lives to think about what it is they were just doing by natural way of course because culture had come that way without thinking of the consequences, without thinking of what kind of society they were becoming, that bigger picture. Now, his friends, they begged him to recount, recant, rather, but Socrates said that he would rather die than live in a society that refused to examine the way that it lived. Now, for any of us who in first year university took intro to philosophy, you probably remember Plato's Apology where he quotes Socrates as saying this, that the unexamined life is not worth living. You say that with me? The unexamined life is not worth living. And by the way, taking lots of selfies of yourself does not mean you live an examined life. In fact, I would suggest that the person who takes a lot of uh, selfies may not be that deep. Anyway, just my thought. It was Socrates' belief, especially when you pucker your lips. I mean, really, who who walks around like that? Can you imagine actually meeting somebody and when they put their hand out, you go, I can't even do it properly. But that's just kind of our culture. You see, it was Socrates, I know I've offended somebody, but you'll get over it. We're having communion soon, so you have to you got to examine yourself before you take the cup. It was Socrates' belief that the unexamined life was actually very similar to the life of an animal. In fact, the Bible picks up on that in Jude verse 10. It says this, these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them. And so they bring about their own destruction very apt for Socrates' day, and of course, it describes our day quite well. The unexamined life is similar to an animal in that it consists essentially of eating and sleeping and breeding. And that really describes a lot of the priorities in our culture today. It's very much about satisfying the flesh, about eating, drinking, basically pleasure, Uh, basically, uh, we even go a step farther than that in many of our cases, of just kind of a mindless self-entertainment. Sex is very prominent in our culture, of course, and so we're not that far away from what Jude was speaking about. But ultimately, the unexamined life, what Socrates says, is not worth living because if the life is unexamined, then over time it really carries no value to the person who's living it. They're just living They're just existing. They're going through the motions. They're going through the grind. They're going through whatever society says you fill your life with, but they don't really understand or recognize how important their life is. They don't understand how much potential they have. They don't understand how useful they are, how meaningful their life is, how valuable their life is. And you see, if we are living without recognizing how valuable we are, then the question begs to be asked are we really ever living? Does our life really mean anything to us? And I'm to us this morning as people who profess to be followers of Christ, people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lives in me. Am I living like somebody in whom Jesus lives? I don't mean am I just doing good things, not doing bad things. I mean, honestly, Jesus said greater things, more numerous things the body of Christ will do than anything you've seen me do. And he's in me. So the question is, do I really value that? Do I really cherish that? Do I really understand and extract that from my life, the fact that Jesus is in me? You know, when a company creates a new product, it goes through a rigorous process of design and and testing and refinement and focus groups. I've been in a couple of focus groups over the years. And then finally, when they think everything is right, it comes to market. And the point is that if if a company goes through such a rigorous, thorough examination process just for a product that's on the market for a short time and then in a yard sale maybe a year later, then should not we as human beings, at the very least, have a process in our life by which we are examining whether or not we are living to the potential of what we've been made for, of what has been invested in us? You see, when you examine the way you are living, Your life becomes more valuable because you become more conscious of your life. You begin to realize, as Jesus said, that life does not consist in the abundance of things that you possess. Life is not about what you own. Life is not about what you surround yourself with. Life is not about what you wear and what you look like. Life is about who you are. It's about the value that you have intrinsically. It's about the gifts that God has placed within you, the unique way that God has made you, has wired you, the experiences God has given you in life so that there's people you can relate to that nobody else can, places he has placed you in, the workplace, the neighborhood, wherever it may be, he has you there because you are of value to him and you are usable to him. And in that usefulness, there comes an understanding of how valuable I really am. I'm not better than anybody else. But I am valuable. My life is valuable. And sometimes it takes calamity or sickness or whatever for us to realize how brief our life is or to realize how much we have squandered this gift that God has given to us. The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, I know it's easy to hear that scripture or read it and almost have this sense of foreboding, like to feel like, oh, man, this, you know, this, like judgment is looming over my head. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying. I really believe what he wants us to understand is this. He wants us to hear the Lord say to us, listen, your life is a gift from me. It's full of possibilities. You have the potential to be effective. You have the potential for joy. You have the, intent, the potential for impact and for fulfillment. There is great incentive in everything I've poured into you to not waste your life, but to enjoy the rewards of an examined life, both now and in the life to come. That's what I hear the Lord saying. There's coming a day of evaluation. Why? Why? Because there is so much value in you. That's what I'm evaluating. I will be judging, discerning whether or not you discerned your true value and what you did with the value that I see in you. And so in light of that, don't look at the judgment day in foreboding because as believers, the judgment day is very different from unbelievers. It's a day of intimacy. It's a day that Jesus is looking forward to standing next to us and saying, well done, oh, well done. Well done. You realize that I live in you and you let me live through you. Well done. And you see, when you allow the Lord to do that, like Paul says, oh, man, I know there's so much more still to do here, but I can't wait to be with the Lord. I can't wait to that day because I know I've run the race that He's set for me. Not anybody else. I've not compared myself to any of the disciples. In fact, compared to them, I feel like I'm the least of all the disciples. And yet I know that I've pleased the Lord in relationship with him, hearing his voice, walking with him, obeying him. And yet many of us do not live our life as we should. We just let it slip away. I mean, I'm 57 years old. I don't know what middle age is. People think it's 40, you know, or they say it's 50, or I don't know, unless you plan to live to be 100 or 120, but whatever age it may be. I mean, I've been on the earth 57 years, and my own life feels like sometimes it is just kind of gone. You know, it's just kind of slipped away. I don't know about you, but it seems like just as my pimples were clearing up, my hair started falling out. It just goes that fast. I mean, it's gone. It's over. Some of you probably look back on your many years and say, I can't believe I'm this age, and I might have five more years, ten more years. Where did my life go? Every one of us lives the unexamined life on one level or another. Anybody ever said to you, hey, what did you do last weekend? And all you could think of was, I don't know. (laughs) That could be age. You know, uh, You know the usual, or not, not a whole lot. Or maybe you get home on some Sunday and somebody asks you what the pastor preached on. And you're honest, you say, I can't remember, but I can tell you how long he was. I can't quite remember the points. I mean, it was, hey, it was 15 minutes ago. What do you expect? The point is, we all live the unexamined life in one way or another but we don't have to. There is a remedy. As Paul said, examine yourselves to see whether you really are in the faith. Test yourselves. Notice he didn't say examine yourself to see if you have faith or believe the right thing. No, are you in the faith? Are you in the river? Are you, are you connected in relationship to God? Test yourselves. And of course, he's talking about self-examination looking closely at your own thoughts, at your motivations, at your behaviors. He's saying, do they line up with the fact? Because he says, you can judge all this by one question or one reality, Jesus is in you. That's the gauge. And so examine those things and whether or not they line up with the fact of Jesus who is in you. And then after you've examined yourself, you follow it up by actually living out of that new perspective. But if you don't have moments regular moments of that internal observation, then very likely you're, not probably, you're probably not changing a whole lot. You're probably not really realigning the areas that you should. In fact, I really believe that one of the main reasons for a lot of people that they don't want to change, they don't want self-examination, rather, is because they don't want to change. Because we've been lulled into believing that if things stay the same as they are, then that's my source of security. Just don't let anything move, and that's my security. But it's a false security. So I want to ask you this question this morning. I want you to ask yourself, how do you decide what you should be doing with the life God has given you? How do you decide? Who comes up with the guidelines that you follow? Who comes up with the rules that you follow, the values that you follow? Where do you get that? I don't mean just in some general way of the four or five things that I don't do or the a couple of good things that I do do. I'm talking about every area of your life and mine. Who makes the rules up? Who decides what is right and wrong? What you should be doing with this gift God has given you. Hebrews 4, we know it well, but I'll read it from the New Century Version. God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones, and it judges the thoughts, and here's a big one, and the what? The feelings in our heart. How many times has your disobedience been prefaced by the phrase, I just don't feel like? You know, the Lord is speaking to you, yeah, but I just don't feel. Or on the other side, oh, I'm really feeling. You know, we get so deceived by that. It judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. Now, the fourth chapter of Hebrews is really all about us learning how to move into God's rest. God's rest to me is essentially that place of relationship with God where rather than being dictated to by the spirit of our culture, remember we talked about the spirit of of this world cosmos, that system that is organized by Satan, that is headed by Satan rather, and leaves God out? That culture, that pressure, instead of being dictated to by that and distracted by that, to enter into God's rest is to come into a place of relationship with Him, of enjoyment, of abiding, of walking with Him, of talking with Him, a place where there comes clarity, a place where there comes understanding, a place where there comes a sense of confidence of who we are and what we are about and how to live life with a sense of really making impact and a difference around us, that place of God's rest. And we're to live and minister out of a place of rest rather than just being tossed back and forth. God actually shapes our life through his word. And that shaping happens when we submit on a regular basis to his examination. And the examination comes through regular exposure to his word as we sit in his presence. Hebrews says that God's word is alive and it works like a surgeon's scalpel. All the way down to separating the soul from the spirit. Why? Because the soul and the spirit are not supposed to be together. That's where all the trouble comes. But that's where the word of God comes in order to set us free. In fact, Hebrews says that God's word can penetrate into your inner being so powerfully and so precisely that it is able to separate your soul from your spirit. What does that mean? Well, your soul, the Greek word suke. We get our English word psychology. It's the human dimension of your being. And that human dimension of your being or your soul is what relates to your physical person, your five natural senses or the physical world around you. That's what it relates to, but also that's what it's limited to. And it's ruled essentially by your thoughts, by your will, by your emotions, by your feelings. That's your soul level. Your spirit, of course, the Greek word pneuma, is that spiritual dimension of your being. And hear me, friends, it is the only part of your being that can relate to God. It is the only part of your being that can sense and understand the realm of the spirit. That's why Paul says in Romans, the natural mind, soul, it does not understand the things of the spirit. The things of God or the things in the spirit realm, these things are only discerned by the spirit. And they're only understood by the one who walks with God in the spirit of truth as revealed in this word and by revelation of the Holy Spirit. So what God's word has the power to do is to expose every thought and behavior in you that becomes soulish. Now, I don't know if soulish is a word, but what soulish means to me is those areas of your life, of your spirit, where God is trying to grow you. It's those areas of your spiritual being where Jesus is in you and wanting to live through you in every dimension. The way that you live, the way that you love, the faith that you have to step out, that you believe for the supernatural, you believe for the miraculous, that you you can walk in the gifts of the Spirit. All that God is trying to grow in you in your spirit by Jesus truly being Jesus in you and through you You become soulish when you allow that work God is wanting to do from the moment you are saved, when you allow that to become enmeshed by your soul, when you allow that to become enmeshed by your natural feelings and your natural understanding, and you allow the physical world in which you live to dictate to you what is real or what isn't when God says, no, 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 no. The realm of the spirit from which the physical realm came is more real it is greater. Does that make sense? If this physical realm came from the spirit, which realm is greater, right? If everything in this world one day is going to be consumed and we're back in the presence of God for eternity, it is the greater realm. And the Lord says, I want you to learn to live out of that spirit. I want you to learn to hear my voice for God who is spirit speaks to your spirit. But the soulish level and demonic attack and deception and the spirit of our culture is always trying to get you to live and prioritize and love and seek after those things that we feel, that we smell, that we see, that we hear. And we can spend our entire life living an unexamined life and never truly understand the value of what it means. Get this, Jesus is in me. He's in me. And he wants to live through me. And so by the word of God, he's able to penetrate any life that is open to him. He's able to enter into our life to the very dividing of the soul and spirit and get rid of all that cloudiness and confusion of all that mingling together, like putting a a drop of black ink in a clear water. He's able to separate all that, push it aside and say, okay, the physical is real right now. This is true. This is true. But your spirit is able to discern and navigate truth through all this stuff that you are living in. That's why as Christians, like some people will say, well, you know, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to live by all the rules. No, no. We've said it many times. Following Jesus is not living by rules. It's living by truth. Truth that he reveals. We say, yeah, that makes sense. And that's why sometimes you're in the workplace and you may speak a simple word of truth. Something just, you know, level one Christianity to you, but to the person around the water it's whoa, I never heard anything like that. Why? Because they're just used to swimming in the current of our world culture, spirit that says, this is what life is. And all of a sudden you stand there and say, no, uh, this is the way life is. They go, Wow, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's just simple truth. Simply allowing your spirit to grow, become like Christ, allowing Jesus to live through you and what a radical difference he makes in all of our lives. Because you see, the alternative to that, the alternative, as the song says, of letting Jesus be Jesus in me, the alternative to that is that you forget what really matters in your relationship with God. The alternative to this is that you stop hearing God's voice. The alternative is that you just go on living as though nothing is wrong because you've never stopped to examine whether or not God is pleased with what you're doing. That's the alternative. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. The Bible says in First John, if that's where you are this morning, all hope is not lost. Simple scripture. If you want to read it with me, First John 1, 9, just a portion of the verse. Will you read it with me? If we confess our sins, if we examine ourselves, if we confess our sins, God will cleanse us from all the wrongs we've done. That's just where it is. That's as simple as it is. If we will allow ourselves to be examined, if we will examine ourselves, whatever we find wrong, God does not condemn us. He shows us so there need not be condemnation. There can be, as Chantal so beautifully sang, there can be cleansing. There can be a restoration of that relationship. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. And hear me, friends, that's even truer for the Christian than it was for Socrates. Because when you learn to examine your life, you actually become more conscious of your life. Let me ask you just to consider this simple test. When you awaken in the morning, what's your first thought? I gotta get to the office. Here's the work. I got to get it done. Whatever it may be, just everything pours in. Or is your first thought, okay, Lord, I'm moving in your kingdom today. Yeah, I got to go to those places. I got to do those things. But I know who I am. I'm not just the receptionist. I'm not just the manager. I'm not just the pastor. I'm not just whatever the case may be, the custodian. Whatever it may be, no, no, no. No, I know who I am. As I get up this morning, Jesus, you're in me. So look out office. I don't mean you got to be crazy. you just got to know who you are. I know who I am as I move through this day. And you know what? This may be my very last day. I don't know. But I'm going to move through this day with confidence, with dependence, with clarity, with optimism and hope and enthusiasm because I know who is in. But you have to stop and examine yourself to really be conscious of how great your life is. David showed us how to live and examine life. I'm going to ask you to read this verse with me in just a moment. But after we read this verse, we're going to go into a time of worship and then to the Lord's table. And during this time of worship, if you don't know the song, I think they're singing a new song this morning. You can just close your eyes and listen. But during this time of worship, would you allow this to be a time of self-examination? A time of realignment. A time of saying, Jesus, would you just speak to me now and Holy Spirit, realign those things in my life that need to realign. So when I get up on Tuesday morning and head back to work, I realize I'm not just going back to the grind. I'm moving in the kingdom. Jesus is in me. Lord, I want to be conscious of my life. I want to be conscious of my life. You are in me. And I want to live like that. And I want to believe like that. And I want to do the kind of things that you did. Will you read scripture with me? Psalm 139. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen. Let's bow our hearts as we prepare for the Lord's table in a few moments, and as the musicians lead us.